This is SciBite, episode 116, for January 21st, 2014. everyone, and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast, live on a Tuesday and fresh on a Wednesday over jupiterbroadcasting.com. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather. Happy science to you. Happy science. So, what are we going to talk about today? Today, we're going to take a look at treating migraines, remembering John Dobson, remembering your sending your name up to space, story and space for updates, and as always, take a peek back in history and up in the sky this week. Very good, Heather. I'm ready to go. So why don't we kick it off with the news? Okay, Heather, where are we going to start tonight? Alrighty, migraines. For those of you who have them very regularly, I'm sorry, I have them sometimes. There is research out there that found that a drug, condestin, uh, condestatarn, well, I'm trapping over it. It's helped use to lower blood pressure that is as com- effective in combating migraines as the most commonly prescribed drug for treating migraines. So something that's not normally used for treating migraines goes up against something that has always been used to treat migraines and they go, hey, Bob's your uncle. Same results. Yeah, pretty much. So it's following up actually a 10-year study about this. And it's, it's funny where... They call it a triple blind study, hmm. a triple blind test, because you've heard the, you know, the double blinds. Yeah. This is where the doctors, the patients, and then the researchers, nobody's aware of, they're all, you know, the researchers go through and they analyze the data without knowing which set of data it is. So the patients take mystery pill, the doctors are handing out mystery pill, the researchers are Say, are uh, taking down the notes of what Mystery Pill does. And then finally, when it's all done, they go back and they say, all right, Mystery Pill is actually this. And then they start filling in all the blanks. Hmm. I so, guess it's not too surprising that something that kind of changes the blood flow in the body might help relieve pressures in the brain or something to that extent, I suppose, right? Yeah, I mean, these are, yeah, it does make sense because you're, it's, some of the, some of it is about, uh, you know, the blood vessels and the pressure and things like that. Yeah. So they had 72 people. These are people who had migraines at least twice a month. So it was, you know, placebo or uh, condesterin, which is this new drug that they're looking at. Condesterin. And then, yes, propranolol. <laughs> oh, man, these names. Yeah, yeah this is great. Um, it's the most commonly drug for uh, migraines. So they kind of did all three and said, all right, well— Let's see what happens for 12 weeks and then a break in the middle of four weeks without anything and then start up again. So you can kind of see, here's what the drugs are doing. Stop it. See what the brain does while you're off of it and then start it back up and see what happens. Now, 20% of the people that were suffering migraine attacks felt better even when they were on the placebo but well. this this test actually saw that the condesterin worked. Uh, it did for another 20 to 30 percent of migraine patients. It helped cut them out or reduce them. Hmm. 
So just as Refact actually was 16 milligrams of this uh, blood pressure medication was working the same as 160 of the normal migraine medication. So it was, um, you know, roughly the same results for much less dosage. That seems like a pretty good thing because like we've talked about in the past, when these things are pre-approved, like they've been, they've already been in circulation for years now, it makes the path to wider adoption a lot easier. Yeah. Then it's just getting the approval for the switch over to a different, you know, pres- uh, prescribing reason. Yeah, yeah. But all the front, ha- all the you know, front heavy loading has already been done. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, any other notes on that story? Not just. Uh, I like every time there is a step forward in stopping migraines. Oh boy, yeah. No kidding. All right. Well then, uh, let's take a quick break right here. I got something really fun. It's a sidebite exclusive. Just announcing it right now for the first time. We're doing a really cool uh, sticker giveaway competition for the faux show. Not a competition. It's an award show. There's really no competition to it. All you have to do is if you would like a free Jupiter Broadcasting sticker, because we have the new logo in black or white, which is awesome. And uh, we want to celebrate by giving it out to the fans of the network. And uh, we'd like also for you to give us a picture of wherever you put it, and then that will work its way into a future faux show award show. So we will have a link in the show notes because it's a long Google Docs. URL, I can't really give it out on air, but if you go to the show notes, we'll have a link towards the top of the show notes. You just put your IRC nick in there or uh, an, you know another handle that you've used in the community, your mailing address, and then which type of logo you want, uh, black or white, depending on where you're putting it. And then just say, yes, I promise to send a picture to Angela as soon as I put it up because we want to do this episode of The Faux Show in a few days. And uh, then we're going to just kind of show people's stickers off and it's a way for you to get a free sticker. And we just thought it'd be kind of a fun thing. We get people get to See where you put it. It's going to be kind of a fun thing. So uh, go to the go over to SciBite 116's show notes and uh, look for the Faux Show uh, Sticker Awards link, and you can fill out your address if you would like a free Jupiter Broadcasting sticker, and then just choose white or black. And you'll probably see it show up on our new Instagram feed over at Instagram.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Right now we're posting pictures of folks who uh, got the new Jupiter Broadcasting swag and uh, are uh, will uh, be uh, hanging up pictures of these in the new studio when we move in. Lots of cool pictures, uh, some uh, well-known faces on there as well. So uh, you can find pictures of those, and you'll probably see pictures of your stickers on there as well over at Instagram.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. So pretty cool, a way to get a free Jupiter Broadcasting sticker. I mean, we figured new logo, might as well get some stickers, and then we got a whole bunch of stickers. So then we were like, well, let's give them away to people. We'll also have some stickers whenever we do on-location things like Linux Fest Northwest, but we don't do those too often. All right, Heather. Well, that's it. Stickers. There you go. And uh, we'll find a link to that in the show notes. And with that filed, that means it's time for the News Bite. Okay, what do we have in the News Bite? All righty. Slightly a bit of a downer on this one. This is sort of a section for remembering John Dobson. He is He passed away this last week. He's most notable for being... Uh, promoter for a design for large, portable, low-cost telescopes. These are the telescopes that you probably are used to seeing out if you've ever, um, you know, been somewhere where it's just like a cardboard tube and it has a little rotating base. And it's really the most likely one that you're going to have uh, as an amateur astronomer if you have a larger one. I have an 8-inch an back where my parents are, and that was that type of telescope. And it really sort of brought the price point down enough mm-hmm. so that amateur astronomers could get these larger telescopes. And it's so much easier to set them up 
then equatorial. With an equatorial, it's tripod, and you have to aim it at the right, you know, north uh, point. And there's a lot of setup with the uh, with these little Dobsons. You just kind of plop it down at a flat piece of ground, and that's it. And then you point it where you want to go. And so it it was really, and he just kind of did it. He was, he's like, I want to go out there and show the stars to the random people on the street, which he did. He was, he did uh, sidewalk astronomers. He, San Francisco, he'd go out onto the sidewalks and just kind of plop these telescopes down and just sort of aim it to whatever people could see. And that's why he did it. He just wanted something simple that he could make. And it was funny. He's like, um, no, I don't think I'm all that awesome for making this up. I really don't think I'm all that smart. <laughs> but so it really sort of, it really brought that into perspective. And I met the guy years ago. He signed my telescope. I actually got him too. But oh, it's one of those really? Things That's where, awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've seen yeah. pictures of him signing other people's telescopes. But yeah, his was the first signature on my telescope That's amongst so cool. many others. <laughs> I never even thought but, about getting a telescope signed, but it actually makes sense. It, yeah, my mom thought it was funny too, but it was the only <laughs> thing I would know I would have with me at oh, these events. Yeah, that's true. Like, I'm going to forget a notepad. I'm not forgetting my telescope. Nope. Wow. But it was a really, it was a really cool guy. He brought, like I said, he brought a lot of amateur astronomy to the to the sidewalks to the people and kind of let people in astro- amateur astronomy get a hands on grip of larger telescopes and making it so much easier yeah well uh you know it's 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 men like him and and women like him that uh a lot of us going forward don't really appreciate are responsible for uh sort of a lot of it's the the, the saying standing on the shoulders of giants it doesn't it's so it seems so cliche but it's really so true in the case of people like john dobson where uh he sort of he sort of made it more accessible to a whole new generation. And generation is almost the right word, but a whole new class of astronomer in a sense. Yeah, and it's one of those things. Now everybody yeah, will stand sort of, on that shoulder that he created. That. Yeah, it's sort of niche knowledge almost. Yeah, exactly. That this specific t- type of telescope, you know, allowed and brought this forth, and that there was actually one guy who just randomly did it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly you. Much better stated, Heather. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on that? Uh, no, not today. All right, well then let's prepare ourselves because it is time for the two bite news. All right, Heather, what are we talking about in the two bite news? Alrighty, slightly higher point, actually, much higher. You can send your name into space. Okay. So NASA has invited the public to submit their names and they will actually be engraved on a microchip on board a spacecraft that's going to go to an asteroid. This is one that um, OSIRIS-REx, its aim is to go to this asteroid, collect about two ounces of material and then return it back to Earth, actually. Uh, return trip at 2023. So it's a little ways off. Oh, that's not too bad. I can make that. Yeah, but so what they're doing is saying, all right, well, you have there's a website. You go uh, anytime between now and September 30th. Submit your name, and it's not just going to be there for the 500 day mission because the spacecraft itself is going to stay in space even after okay. the little return capsule comes back to Earth. Okay. 
So you go online, go onto the go onto the website, submit your name. You can download and print off a certificate of participation, and you can also register your name uh, to follow or like the astronaut to the asteroid on the Facebook or Twitter page, and you get notification of the status of your name. Okay. As as time goes on, and yeah, there I'll probably you know I might do it under my name, but I will also do it under first name uh, Mars, last name base Jupiter. Seriously? Something in there. How much is it? It's free. <gasps> what? Well, so then why I'm wouldn't gonna... everybody do it? I don't. Exactly. You should go do it. But yeah, I'm going to do one under uh, Jupiter Mars base. Yeah. So oh, that's my so Twitter awesome. will 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 tweet out tweet oh, out anytime I do my anything Twitter happens. Handle. That's a good idea. Yeah. Okay. All well, right. For me, I'd like because then I can actually attach that to yeah. my JB Twitter. Yeah. That's, and no. then everyone can see. When anything happens, that is okay. Now, now from like that's pretty cool to super excited. Yes, thumbs up. So we have links for inf- information about that in L show notes. Uh, yep, links for information, links straight to the uh, to the page where you can enter in your name. All right. Well, I believe we have some updates. Correct. Yes, we do. All right, Heather. What are we updating? All right, Cosmos. It's that th- that show way back, thirteen episodes. Carl yeah. Sagan. Yeah. Back in. 1981 yeah. and public broadcasting won Emmys and Peabody's. It was actually uh, broadcast in more than 60 countries, seen in over 500 million people. It was one of like the biggest documentaries, like most seen for over a decade, I believe, on PBS. Really? So I believe it. It uh, was amazing. Oh, yeah. Back a long time ago, Cybite 53, back in July of 2012. That was a while back. No, I've uh, brought up that uh, Seth MacFarlane, the guy from uh, American Dad, uh, Family Guy. That guy, he did, he donated, quote, an undisclosed sum of money to the Library of Congress. They went through, they purchased all of Carl Sagan's per- personal archive from his widow, and he was able to look through it a little bit and then go through and he said, all right, well, along with this, he's announcing that they were going to reboot the, the series. And so he went to uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, which some people know as he's kind of a, you know, he's seen more and more often uh, connected to the New York uh, Science, Obser- uh, Science Museum. Uh, some people know him as the guy who, uh, who killed Pluto. Oh, he, that was yeah, his claim they, to fame. That was that was what everyone blames him for. He didn't write the rule. He just put Pluto in a different place than all the other planets. Right, right. But uh, actually, it is going to start on March the 9th on National Ge- on uh, Fox, and it'll also air on National Geographic Channel. So everyone should be as cool as me and as cool as science. I definitely at least check that out. Yeah. It's coming up pretty soon, so it's it a little bit of time. I will remind everyone again. I'm playing a little bit of the trailer right now. It looks kind of amazing, Heather. Just being yeah. honest, it, the, the effects look top-notch. The production quality looks absolutely amazing. And I think Neil deGrasse Tyson, I never actually had to say that out loud. Yeah, I think he's a great, I think he's a great pick for this. Yeah. Uh, he's was, got good cred, and people like him, and he's got a good online following already, so it'll be... Yeah. Should be a win when they... I think they'll hit the ground running with this. It, and they've been working on it for a while, too, which is really... Oh, yeah. A good sign as well. well. It's, you know, it's a, for a very specific 13-part series, you're going to narrow down exactly what you want to cover and just 
I mean, doing the show again after Carl Sagan, you really have to knock it out of the ballpark. You have to really take up the mantle. And he actually, um, McFarlane and uh, Neil Grass Tyson, they actually worked with uh, Carl Sagan's widow a little bit. Okay. And some of the people with the original show. So they're able to kind of get sort of a, you know, a quasi approval and uh, passing the baton and making sure that everything was up to snuff. Very good. All right. Well, Heather, uh, so this next button on the SciBite 2000 will either give us a spacecraft update or it will launch the secret Omega particle torpedo created by Section 31 in order to collapse Borg transwarp conduits. I'm not sure which one. I'm hoping it's not the second one, but we'll find out. So I'm going to push it. Okay. Okay. There you go. Oh, no. Oh, good news, Heather. It's a spacecraft update. You have to put those buttons separate from each other. I'm working on it. Yeah, I keep know, hoping. It's the task list. It just keeps growing. Yeah. All right. So what's our spacecraft update? All right. Rovers on Mars. Everyone thinks curiosity is bright and shiny, but opportunity. The little rover that could. Yeah. Going a little over 10 years now. Amazing. It is still being awesome. So they had, you know, images that they bring back and suddenly they kind of saw something strange. Yeah. I heard about this. This is yeah, like a bit of a stink online. Yeah. Photo, 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 photo. No rock, no rock, no rock, rock. What is this? This to the me, rock it looks like a the screen. It's a hubcap. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, it looks like a bowl maybe with a, with an eagle face on it. What is this, Heather? What am I looking at? Well, that's what they're trying to figure out is they were going through there. Obviously they have stopped where they are. They're going to really, it's in a good position for them to really analyze it in different ways that they can. They're, uh, you know, right around, right on the outside, kind of a low spot in the middle. The the guy on the team actually said, it, "quote Looks like a jelly donut." I, I could see that. Not a very good one, though. Yeah. So they had just driven um, about a only about a meter or two away, so about three, four feet away from it. Uh-huh. So they're thinking it's possible that one of the wheels kind of spit something out of the ground and you know Picked it landed. It yeah, kicked it up over there. Um, there's one, th- you know, there's a theory that um, possibly something hit the ground, you know, a meteor uh, hit the ground nearby and knocked a, a chunk of rock there nearby. Um, there Maybe it's tumbled down from some rock outcrop nearby where something just happened to fall off and tumble down near the rover. So... As of right now, they're just taking all the pictures they can. They're taking all of the measurements they can of it and arguing up and down about what could have happened. Hmm. Uh, there was a quote the guy said, quote, I don't know what any of this means. We're completely confused. Everybody on the team is arguing and fighting. We're having a wonderful time. <laughs> oh, I bet they are having a good time. So that, that's, that's funny because, you know, we're like, this is weird. This is awesome. Right. We must discuss this. Yeah. Now let's all have vi- vigorous debates on what this could possibly mean. <laughs> yes. But well, yes, I, I saw, I think the funniest conspiracy funny that I saw was, uh, you know, somebody throwing rocks. It's like, oh man, we missed it. I I, uh, I like to believe that it, it was an alien that dropped its jelly donut. I think that's a good theory. Oh no. Let's go in. Now we did, you did briefly mention Pluto. The, uh, did. the best little planet there is. Uh, but we have an update on Pluto, too. We do. There is the New Horizons spacecraft. It has been it has been launched, heading towards Pluto for a while now. Mm. It's 
scheduled for close approach for July of next year, July 2015. So it's going to fly about 10,000 kilometers over the surface, which it sounds kind of strange, but if it flew over Earth at the same altitude, it could see individual buildings in their shapes. So uh, you're saying it has a super high resolution camera? It's going to be fairly high resolution. It's going to fly pretty close. Now, it is going to zoom by it at very, very fast speeds. Okay. So we're going to have to kind of uh, see what's going on with that. So we might get a few blurry pictures is what you're saying? No, 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 no. The uh. They've got it set up so that they're going to... You have a setup so that you take you're taking a picture and you're rotating the satellite at a specific rate to kind of make up for that. Okay. It's, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. They've yeah, done. Yeah. They've they've had lots of practice with this on the yeah. uh, Mars orbiters, in order to take higher quality and even better images. They kind of um, rotate the the satellite just enough so that it's maintaining a better image quality. Actually, so you can actually up up the scale a little bit. So they got a few. They're, yeah, they're going to kind of be doing, they're kind of looking forward to this in several steps. In July of next year, there'll be, you know, a stage one of a whole bunch of pictures, and that'll kind of help them pinpoint exactly where it is. They're not, they won't be entirely sure of its exact location until they get there. They're kind of, it's a fuzzy location okay. until they get close enough. Yeah. Because it's so far out there. Yeah. Well, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, that is putting it mildly. It really is. Yes. Yeah. And then they'll be able to kind of redefine its location, fire the engines, make, you know, all the corrections they need to. Yeah. And then by April of next year, their pictures will be better than anything that Hubble has taken so far. Oh, that'll be awesome. Can't wait for that. Yep. So it's one of those things where kind of everything, everything else coming up this week, uh, they kind of popped up like, hey, we're way, still going. Yeah, yeah. I think they just had to wake every once in a while with these long-distance satellites. They'll have sort of hibernation states just where it's just kind of going, at, you know, using the minimal amount of power. And in fact, it doesn't – sometimes they don't even call home. And then they'll wake up. They'll send a little wake-up message and it says, oh, alarm. I have to wake up. So it'll wake up, call back home. They'll talk for a little bit to make sure everything's okay and then it'll fall back asleep. So it doesn't have to use – it kind of low power settings. You know, it doesn't have to be fully awake and taking all these pictures all the time. So I just had a, a wake up call and everything was going good with it. So, yeah, great to hear. All right, Heather, we'll step over here into the time machine, would you? Okay. And uh, by the way, if you hear some knocking on the engine, I have that fuel cleaner in there. So don't, oh boy, this is just a little pumpy. Oh, whoa. Yeah. All right. Oh, oh, I did not, oh, I didn't. Boy, I wouldn't have put the fuel cleaner in there if I knew we were going to go to 314 years ago. That's right, January 26th, 1700. What happened this week in science, Heather? The Canadian Cascadia earthquake. So in 1700, there was an earthquake. The most intense Canada has ever seen hit the seafloor off the British Columbia coast. Now, this was before Europeans had landed in Vancouver Island. Now, it all started with a native legend you know, that said there was a great disaster that happened at this one time. And the sea rose and the landscape was buried and, you know, villages were covered. And finally, in 2003, the science actually backed it up. Oh, really? The government, there was some government research that looked up. Uh, 
Earthquakes of that of that intensity actually call actually cause tidal waves. And so looking back, they actually saw Japanese history, you know, because that kind of wave would all make would propagate all the way to Japan. They're able to see Japanese stories that said of a massive tsunami striking fish villages oh, man, on the date. That's on where the I next live, day. right there. Oh, that's um, horrible. Oh. So they're able to kind of couple these two events together saying, all right, well, there's, you know, history, historical of in Canada saying here is historical things in Japan here. It's able to combine all that and look at, you know, the geological evidence and say, all right. And in fact, they could go through and estimate uh, the level of earthquake. They actually estimate that it was a level uh, nine. Oh. So very, very strong. But it's funny because you go back and you see all these you know, historical stories and like, hey, this was a really bad storm. And there was a yeah. giant wave that happened here. And you go back and you're like, oh, now science says, yes, we know exactly when that happened. Yeah. You know, giant new star in the sky. You can identify that by going back and saying, hey, there's a supernova there. Well, that's true. I just, I've grown up my whole life hearing that we are overdue in this cycle for the big one here in the Puget Sound area. And you see that map that you have linked in the show notes, and my area gets devastated <laughs> if we have another oh. big one. So that's scary, Heather. Uh, all right, well, let me uh, recalibrate the side by 2000. That way we can look up into the sky this week. All righty. On Wednesday, January the 22nd, Right about midnight, you're going to see the moon rising very close to the variable blue giant star Spica. And Mars will actually be to the upper left. By dawn, the moon, Spica, and Mars are going to be to the southwest. And now Mars is going to be the upper right of the moon. On Thursday, January the 23rd, give out 1 a.m. local time. Now Mars and uh, Spica will be to the upper right of the moon. And about an hour later... You can actually see Saturn starting to rise to the far lower left. And by about dawn, they're all going to be kind of uh, lined up horizontally. On the whole, on the planets, we've got Venus at early dawn. going to be rising in the east to southeast, moving uh, higher and higher, being able to see it each day throughout we go through the week. Mars is going to be about 11 or 12 p.m. this week. Oh. You can see it rising into the east to northeast. With the variable blue giant star about six degrees below it, uh, that's five degrees is about three middle fingers uh, held at arm's length. Okay. So you're going to be able to see red and blue over there in the east northeast about 11 or 12 p.m. midnight. Jupiter is going to be in the evenings this week. It's going to be rising in the eastern sky, moving overhead about 11 p.m. and then moving to the west as the sun comes up. Ah, not to miss. So uh, if uh, you heard some of that but didn't didn't remember all of it, that's okay. We have it all listed in the show notes. Go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com and look for Sidebite 116 where you'll find a link to the faux show sticker awards. And you can also find links and references to everything Heather talked about, including videos and pictures. Is there anything else we want to cover, Heather, before we get out of here? Not that I can think of. Very good, very good. Well, if you'd like to follow Heather, go over to Twitter and you can find her at JB underscore Mars underscore base or... Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com and click our contact link and you can choose SciBite from the dropdown. And don't forget we're live on a Tuesday over at 7.30 p.m. Pacific at jblive.tv. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time zone and jblive.info for the audio version. If you are on a long commute want to listen to the show while you're on the go, jblive.info. 
All right, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Sidebite. And Heather, thank you for the great show. And thank, thank you, you. Thank you. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in this week. We'll see you right back here next week. 